0: I saw my father for many years, all all his adult life, suffered because of war. And uh, but I want to honor the veterans today. If you're a veteran, would you raise your hand? Would you, guys, ladies, would you raise your hand if you're actively or inactively serving? Let's give them a round of applause. <clears throat> We want to thank you for your service. And also we want to remember the men and women who are serving currently on foreign soil. Uh, I know the pain. I've seen the pain. I've seen the hurt as a son. This morning we want to pray this morning and uh, we want to remember these families and we're going to play a song and give you the opportunity to come down. But I want you to remember the Reese family, Todd, and John lost their their mom this week. The funeral will be tomorrow. And uh, we want to remember them. Also, Robert Presley was here last Sunday, standing right back here. He passed away this past week, and the services will be this week. Uh, We'll give you a phone tree and let you know about those. Let's lift their family up in prayer. Folks, you never know, but it's good to know Jesus. And then we're going to invite you to come and, and, and have a time of prayer. Bobby just come up just a minute ago. There's a four-year-old boy. He works with his dad. Anyway, his name is Brett Jones. Four years old, has cancer. Just found out. I want you to lift that little fellow up and his family in prayer. We don't invite you to come. that you're our Father, and that you hear and that you answer prayer. Lord, no matter what we face in life, you're faithful. You're faithful. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And Father, we want to thank you for a free country this morning as we honor those who are serving and have served, Lord, to defend our nation and our freedoms. We thank you for their life. We thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you for the years and the days they served along. Away from family, from those they love. I pray you'd bless them today, be with those that are serving now. And Father, this morning we want to pray you be with the Reese family, be with Todd and John, and Lord, be with them tomorrow during the services. And Father, be with the Presley family. I pray you'd just comfort them and be with them in a very special way. And Father, we want to pray for a little bread, a little four-year-old boy who has cancer pray for his mom and dad and, Lord, Lord what they're facing. God, just, just be with them in a very special way today. And, Father, help us to remind us to pray one for another as you command us in your word, Lord, we are to pray for each other. Lord, help us to pray for the needs of those who are going through difficult times. But, Lord, help us also to praise you. Help us to thank you, Lord, for who you are and how good you are to us and the many blessings you give us in life. Thank you for health and strength and for the ability to come and to worship the risen Savior this morning. And Father, we want to thank you that you're on your throne. And Lord, you're high and lifted up. And Lord, we need your presence today. Bless Kevin as he comes in just a few moments to preach your word. And Father, give him the, the words and the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim your truth. And Father, we love you this morning because you first loved us in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: See you.
2: Don't you just? You have a song like that. You sing songs of when we all get to heaven. You hear all those familiar songs, and it reminds us of the reality of our future. Um, But we also have the reality of today, don't we? And we need to be reminded on a regular basis of the reality of where we're going and what the end game is, and understand that we do win in the end. But this passage we're going to look at today really ties into that because Paul was writing to his friend, this young pastor named Timothy. And in this passage, he's basically giving him a reality check, saying, Timothy, you need to be aware of the day in which you live. You need to be aware of these end times. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read this whole chapter, and I'm not going to ask you to stand because I know that's a lot of reading, but I think it's important that we read through it. And then we're going to walk through this particular passage and see how that applies to us, because what he addresses to Timothy, I believe, is exactly what we need to hear. As I've entitled this, standing firm in a falling world. Because we live in a world that is fallen, right? Um, last time I preached, we looked at that, the fallout from Genesis and the reality of the world in which we live. It is not always a great place to be. We're reminded through sickness, we're reminded through struggles, through sin, through all the abuses in our world, the conflicts, that this is not heaven on earth yet, is it? And we live in that. So how do we live? How are we going to stand when you wake up every morning, you turn on the news, you see this happening, that happening, that it goes so against what you believe and where you stand? How are you going to stand when you face those times? Understand, just before I read this, the background of this. 2 Timothy was written by Paul, and he is in prison. If you guys would show that picture, we sometimes think of Paul being in house arrest, but this time he's basically in a dungeon. Tradition says it might be uh, the Mamertine prison in Rome, and he was in this cold, dark cell. There's probably one hole where light would seep in. He's alone. And after, all, I mean, the reason he's there is why he was obedient. He was preaching the gospel. He was doing what God called him to do. And this is where he finds himself writing this letter. And here's his mindset. I think Paul realized this is kind of, he's come to the end. After all the suffering he's been through, he's now in prison. The last, or chapter four of this letter he wrote, this is what he said. This is Paul's mindset. Think about this. Time of departure. My time of departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. That's Paul's mindset as he writes to this young pastor. So I want you to understand the urgency as he's writing this, the so, how sober he is in writing this, how important it is to this young pastor. And think about this for yourself. I want you, this kind of a morbid thought, but consider you know God's going to take you home next Sunday. He's given you that insight. You have one week to live your life. My question is, who would you see and what would you say to them? You think you would talk about the ball game? Probably not. (laughs) Talk about your aches or pains? Probably not. There would be an urgency in every word that you have, and the people that you would find would be strategic that have either impacted you or that you want to impact and leave a legacy with. You would take that time, and I believe if you think about that mindset, put yourself in that cell with Paul. What does he need to share with Timothy? And we're going to read those words right now. So Second Timothy chapter 3, again, you don't have to be to, to stand up for this. I just want to read through this. Again, in verse 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away, exclamation point. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 8, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, disapproved, concerning the faith, But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. So here's the reality of where he's living. Not doesn't sound like a pleasant place, but guess what? That's where we live as well. It's not changed. Verse 10, though, here is where he steps in. Paul very soberly and urgently says this to Timothy and reminds him, but in spite of this culture that you live in and the way the people are, Says, You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But even men, evil men, impostors, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then finally, the last two says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, For correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are um, humbled by your presence. Lord, we're humbled by your word. As we think back at how you inspired Paul, how you spoke through him, these words were recorded, and thousands of years later, we have the same words to encourage us. Lord, we're thankful for that. And God, we're thankful for your spirit that indwells us by faith to help us to stand in these last days. Lord, help us to examine our hearts today. Lord, in the reality of this world we live in, the question we must ask, are we standing firm? And all we have is your word, and we must stand on it. So God, give us conviction today, open our eyes, and give us a desire to know you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to kind of let you know where we're going, there's four main points we're going to look at today. First of all, we're going to look at perilous times to come. We're going to look at the pattern to follow. We're going to look at the persecution to expect. And we're going to look at the place to stand. The first one is the perilous times to come. Beginning in verse 1, it says, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. First of all, let's look at that passage, that phrase, last days. Because when we always talk about last days, if, if you're like me, Anytime I heard that growing up, I'm thinking Revelation, right? I'm thinking all the earthquakes in various places. We're thinking about the persecution, the signs. And and it kind of draws us in. It's interesting when you think about the signs. But that's not necessarily what he's talking about. The last days, biblically, if you look at it, really begin when Jesus came the first time, begin with his first coming, and goes to his second coming, his return. From that time on, even those early disciples realized they were in the last days, as we are still in the last days. It's not just that time right before he come back comes back. It is that time from when he ascended, really, or when he came, to when he returns. We have lived in these last days now for thousands of years. Acts 2.17, Peter quoted Joel when he said, And it shall come to pass in the last days, God will, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh that happened at Pentecost, 1 John 2.18, he says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, we think it's still coming. For us, it's very close. For them, it was close as well. He says that even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. 1 Peter 1.20 says, He was foreknown from the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. So from this passage on, Timothy is understanding, Paul's telling him, you are in the last days. In the last days, these perilous times are going to come. Now, what are the perilous times? The only other time that that word for perilous is used is in Matthew 8.28, and it is referring to the demoniacs, the two men who were possessed by demons. And it says they were coming out of the tombs, they were exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. This is the same word talking about the perilous times that we live in says, exceedingly fierce. You talk about stressful pressures. That is the reality of the world that we live in. We are living in the last days and it is perilous times. And it's not necessarily for us the suffering that we're going to face in these last times. It is as far as physical necessarily for us and it's not these miraculous signs that we all get scared when we read like in the book of Revelation. But... The characteristics of the people is the danger. It's not just the stuff, it's the people in these last days. What makes these times perilous is the heart and minds of people who are living in rebellion to God. That's what makes it difficult. Every day we wake up when we see things going on in the world It is because there are wicked people that are controlled by sin. And here's how he describes them. We're not going to get into detail on all these. There are 19 of these. Um, It's not good to preach a sermon with 19 points because nobody will... Listen, so we're going to run through these real quick just to highlight a few of these. The perilous times which we live. Verse 2, it says, For men will be lovers of themselves. The first characteristic, really, out of that one characteristic, lover of themselves, really flows all the rest of these. Every sin that we commit flows out of this desire for us to be on the throne of our lives. We love ourselves. We want what we want, not what God wants. That is the source of that sin. William Barclay and his... uh, commentary, he says this, "...love of self is the basic sin from which all others flow. The moment a man makes his own will the center of life, divine and human relationships are destroyed. Obedience to God and charity to men both become impossible. The essence of Christianity is not the enthronement, but the obliteration of self." So these men in the last days will be lovers of themselves, And out of that self-centered living comes all the other characteristics. That particular characteristic, lover themselves, where they want what they want, they choose what they want, really is a lie that goes back to the garden, and it is the antithesis of what salvation is, right? What is salvation? Salvation is saying, Jesus, I am depending on you and you alone to deliver me, to save me. I am depending on you, where if I'm loving myself, I am depending on me. I'm doing what I want. It is the opposite of salvation, and that is the world in which we live. So out of all all of those, the rest of them come. Second one, they are lovers of money, materialistic, moved by greed, the gain of wealth for selfish gain. They will be boasters. They will be proud or arrogant. Now, that's, that's one, back in, I think it was April of 2020, Uh, in the heart of the pandemic. Um, Here's a quote by the New York governor at that time. He said this, and it's kind of shocking to hear it on TV. He said, the number is down because we brought the number down, he told reporters. God did not do that. Faith did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. That's how it works. It's math, and if you don't continue to do that, you're going to see the numbers go back up, and that will be That will be a tragedy if the numbers go back up. But the sheer arrogance to proclaim in the midst of this pandemic, as things did begin to improve, that God gets no credit for that, that is the world in which we live. It is a world of boasters that are proud and arrogant. It is a world of blasphemers. They are disobedient to parents. They are unthankful. They are unholy they are set apart for themselves but not for God there is nothing sacred to these people they are unloving heartless callous utterly lacking in natural human affection all you have to do is look at the abortion debate as texas passed the law that if there is a fetal heartbeat you cannot perform an abortion and you would think you would i mean the, the world goes crazy there's protests there's almost riots because of that that's because We live in a world that has lost love. They are unloving. They are unforgiving. They will not come to any agreement. And they will not compromise. They are slanderers, backbiters. Speak evil of others. Any of you on social media? (laughs) Let me just uh, tell y'all. You can't believe everything you read, right? Not everything's true. In fact, we live in a world where you can say whatever you want to say, whether it's true or not. And then you can backtrack a week later, but the information's already been put out there. They're slanderous. They're without self-control. They are brutal, untamed, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And number 19, they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. When I think about that, I think about, as I was a very young youth pastor, um, first church I served at, I've only served at two, so that kind of narrows it down, right? But I... If I remember right, it was one of the first things that I was a part of there. Somebody, one of the students had asked me if I would go to the daycare, um, a daycare they were at helping out and and do a prayer for their graduation service. So I think I was about 20, I think I was 22 at the time, first few months on as a, as a youth pastor. So I just did what I always do. I prayed. And when I got done praying, I said, in Jesus' name, amen. Think thing about it. And as everybody began to socialize and talk, I had another pastor, older pastor from another church in the community, pulled me aside and said, you know, I know you're young, basically saying, I know you're young, but you probably don't want to pray in Jesus' name. That could be, um, you don't know who all's here, and that could be offensive. You could just say amen. Well, I I mean, I was kind of intimidated. Here's an older pastor. He should know better. He comes to me and shares that with me. And as I thought about it afterwards, all the things come to mind, what I should have said as a young pastor but it reminds me we serve and we live in a world in a community sometimes has a form of godliness but denies its power we can look religious we can attend church we can dress up we can do good things for the community and not have the power of God in in the life of the church this world will have a form of godliness but will deny its power and what is his instruction for these Verse 5, he says, And from such people turn away. Have no fellowship with them. Guard the church from these people. They are of no good. It doesn't mean we don't reach out to them. It doesn't mean we don't share the truth and the gospel. But they should not be a part of our regular fellowship because they will, as Scripture says, bad company corrupts good morals. So be on the guard. And then verse um, verse 6, it says, These sort of people creep into the household of gullible women and we won't get into what all that means but basically those are spiritually weak obviously it was happening in Ephesus where these false teachers were working their way into these homes these were spiritually immature women with great sins and struggles and they wormed their way in and then it compares as an example Janice and uh, Jambres Janus and Jambres, anybody know what those, who those people are? you do a search in your Bible or on, uh, online, you will not find them in Scripture anywhere else. But tradition says these are the magicians um, in Pharaoh's court. These were the guys that were there battling against Moses. When Moses threw a stick staff down, they did the same thing, and they were having had counterfeits of what was truly happening there. He identifies them and reminds them and reminds Timothy that That those who stand against him and those in this world that teach against the truth and stand against truth, they have their limits. Verse 9 says, But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. Understand this as bad as this world gets, in a world that is where we have the prince of the power of the air, we have our enemy that has influenced every part of our world and culture, that he is still on a leash that he still has limits, that God is still on his throne and has control. So no matter how bad it gets, understand God has this still. His call to us is just to remain faithful, and he will handle the rest. So we see that we live in the last days, and there are perilous times, and these are the people, this is the world, this is the culture that we live in today. It is no different than what Timothy faced in that day. So we see that perilous times to come. The second thing we're going to look at is the pattern to follow in spite of this world that we live in and the challenges that you and I face every day to know the truth and proclaim that truth and to live in that truth, Paul reminds him of the pattern that he had. Let's look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. The pattern that Timothy is reminded of is the pattern that Paul had. He had known Timothy for quite some time and had spent time with Timothy. So Timothy had not only heard the doctrine and the teaching of Scripture, but he watched it be lived out every time he was with Peter or Paul. Warren Wiersbe, in, in thinking about this and doctrine, how important doctrine is, as Paul reminds Timothy as he followed his doctrine. It's a reminder of how important doctrine is. When we lose our doctrine and biblical teaching, it is a death warrant for the church. When we lose this and we refuse to teach this and stand on this, what we become is just a big social club that lacks the power of God. We are to cling to and be reminded of, not only, as he says here, Paul's doctrine and his lifestyle, but the doctrine is so important for the correct teaching Wiersbe says this, no matter how appealing a preacher may be, if he does not preach the truth of God's word, he does not deserve our support. On radio or TV, and I would add internet, we have a great deal of pseudo-Christianity, which is a mixture of psychology, success motivation, and personality cults, with a little bit of Bible thrown in to make it look religious. And he says, beware. The climate of our culture is that we can be religious, but never uh, come to the truth and that is a reality there is so many churches that have gone away from true doctrine biblical doctrine and they have strayed and Pauls reminded Timothy of his doctrine of his teaching there is not an option here as followers this is a, this is where we cannot compromise we can compromise in some things but when we get away from this if this church ever gets away from this i'm going to tell you now just run away or stand and fight, because if we're not teaching this, this is not going to be a place where God will bless. So follow his doctrine. He followed his doctrine, not only what he taught, but his manner of life. What Peter or Paul taught, he lived. How important is that? There is this reality, and I think all of you would agree, that a lot of our Christian walk is caught as well as taught. We're taught it, but there's a lot that we catch by the people we watch. I can't help but think, a lot of times when I come in here, I just have so many memories of this church because this is where I grew up. And, you know, I never really had, I I wouldn't say I had that Paul-Timothy relationship with anybody. A few of you probably have. There's probably been a lot of, very few of you that have had that one person who's walked alongside of you the whole time. But what you've had is a church, and you've seen numerous believers live out what you hear taught every week in Sunday school and from the pulpit. But I think about, trying to think about the people who impacted my life. I don't remember a lot of what they taught. And probably a lot of you can't remember exact details of lessons that you were taught, even with Jamie. I hate to tell him this, but we're not going to remember everything he says, right? But you're going to remember things he's done in addition to some of the things he taught because he backs it up. But I remember some of you that grew up in my my time here, I can remember... um, People like Roy Elder on Sunday nights in the back vestibule of the church, and I would come in, and he always joked with me. He said, "You need to shave that lip," because <laughs> so I had some uh, some peach fuzz on my lip back then, trying to grow a goatee or mustache. I didn't know what it was, but I remember people like him. I remember people like Larry Daniels. Just to see Larry on Sundays and Sunday nights. Back there, from what I remember, I remember this, knuckle sandwich, but I remember his love. I remember as a teenager going out to White Wilson Park and us pouring concrete, that big concrete slab for the shelter out there. I remember being out there and my first wheelbarrow full went over. (laughs) I was not scolded. I was not corrected. I was just taught the right way to do it. But while I was there, I saw the men that I saw on Sunday morning in suit and ties, in dirty clothes, loving each other, joking with each other, encouraging each other. You know, you look back at people in your life, and it may not be necessarily always what you were taught, but you saw the teaching lived out in front of you and how blessed we are and what a calling for every single one of us that we live what we preach and teach. He's telling Timothy, you remember what I taught you remember how I lived. For all of us, that is a reality. You may never be a Sunday school teacher or work in the children's program, helping a wana. but listen, every time you're here at church and we got other people who gather here, they watch you, they hear you, they see you walking down the halls, they see you hugging somebody else. When we get to do that, when COVID gets over, you know. But all of that makes a difference. And Paul's reminded Timothy how important that is. And then he says, you remembered my purpose. What was Paul's purpose? You could just sum it up in one thing, it was Jesus. It was honoring Christ, fulfilling that purpose of sharing the gospel. See his example of faith, the confidence that Paul had to carry out his calling, to trust God no matter what. His long-suffering, his example of long-suffering. In other words, his patience towards everyone. Not only the people in the church that needed great patience, Paul showed great patience and long-suffering toward them, but even those who persecuted him. His great love, that word is agape, it is the God love that we have, unconditional. His perseverance in the face of opposition and persecutions and even his physical afflictions. Paul is saying, Timothy, you remember. Remember my example. Remember what I've taught you. And I'm saying to you as a church, as a congregation, as individuals, you need to remember what you've been taught. And you need to remember those who taught it to you and those who have lived it out week in and week out and year after year throughout your life and be thankful for those people. So we need to, we have that pattern to follow. And my question is, are you being that pattern for someone to follow? Are you doing that? Are you living it out? I'm gonna be honest, one of the biggest fears and challenges of the whole pandemic it wasn't necessarily that the word could not get out because, let's face it, we're the broadcast through Facebook is reaching more people than we ever reached with the truth. So it's not like we're starving for truth. You can find 100 good preachers online every single day and listen to them. But what's concerned me is the fact that we could not be together because it's when we're together that we get to exercise everything that we believe. And the danger is that we've not been here to love each other and, and sit in a classroom and say, you know, I've been struggling this week. Would y'all pray for me? Or I've got this friend struggling. Would you pray for them? Or some of you that could just be honest and say, this is a hard verse. (laughs) I can't live this out. I'm struggling here. I've missed that. And it hurts me for our church. And I'm so thankful that we are back together. And as we keep doing this more and more, that we get to practice and exercise what we proclaim to be true. So we get that. And the third thing is this. And we're going to wind this down. Not only do we have that pattern to follow in these perilous times, third one is this that there is persecution to expect. Persecution to expect. Now just be honest, how many of you have ever faced hard persecution? Where you'd feared for your life? I don't think anybody in here could probably raise your hand unless you've been on a mission trip somewhere and there was just uncertainties. We have been blessed and God's grace has been shed on this country, and we live in a place where we wake up every morning, and the first thing that pops in our head is not, will I make it through the day? Will I be persecuted? Will I suffer today for following Jesus? We've been blessed, but as Christians, we need to realize it's not necessarily us right now, but we have brothers and sisters all around the world that are being persecuted because they simply follow Jesus. In these last days, there will be persecution that we need to expect because we live godly lives. And right now, it's not us, but it probably will be sometime. And the question is, will we stand in that persecution? And what will we stand on? Guys, I'm going to skip the video. I wanted to show you all a video, but basically it says this. There are one in eight Christians around the world that are facing heavy persecution today. One in eight. We're counted in the eight. One in eight. But numerically, statistically speaking, all around this world, people face death, one in eight in severe persecution. North Korea, number one on the list. But you look at places like in Afghanistan where we've just pulled out and Christians wondering now, will they live? But that's a reality in these last days that we live in. And what our call is as Christians right now is to simply pray, to pray for the persecuted church, to realize that they are not alone, to encourage and pray for them. But listen, if you live a godly life, you will face persecution. That's a promise. We are blessed that we don't face it like others, but it will come eventually. And then number four, the place to stand. Verses 14 through 17 says, But you must continue, Timothy. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So here's the ground that we stand on. How do we stand in this falling world? It is that we stand on what we have learned, and what we have learned is God's truth. It is the word of God. That is where we stand. It says we must continue. He must continue in the things which we've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have heard him. And if you read in the previous uh, chapters, you see that Timothy had been taught by his mother and his grandmother. Their faith had been passed on, the teaching of scriptures. And from a childhood, Timothy had heard the truth. In fact, he he was in Lystra, where Paul was left for dead. He was stoned, if you read that in the book of Acts. That's where Timothy was from. It's possible Timothy may have observed that or watched that or heard about that. So that is where he is saying to stand on what you have learned, what you have been taught, what you have been raised in and been convinced of. It has become the conviction of your heart. He is to hold tightly to the truths, because there are several things here. Look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine. Why should you read it? It's profitable for doctrine or instruction, profitable for reproof or conviction of sin, for correction to lead us out of error, and for instruction in righteousness, how we are to live and honor God. So the challenge for Timothy from Paul is simply this. You're living in a fallen world. These last days are perilous. And Timothy, you need to remember what I've taught you, what I've shown you. And he's saying here, you must continue in that. Do not stray from that. That is the rock we stand on. That is the rock that will not be washed away. That is the rock that stands no matter what comes at us. That is the ground which we stand. So the question I have for all of us here is, where are your feet planted? I would say most everyone in here would say that you believe this. Everything I've said today you agree with? Yes, this is where we must stand in this in these perilous times. You can say it, but how do I know you believe it? How do I know I believe this is where I need to stand? This is where I need to put my roots down. This is where in this world of tribulation and false teachings and, and temptations, this is where I'm going to put my feet down and I will not compromise. How do I know that? It's what you do with it. It's not just hearing it on Sunday. It's what you do with it throughout the rest of your time. I want to close with just illustration. Um, I couldn't get away from this. This is actually one of the first lessons I ever taught. God had called me to ministry. First thing I did the um, summer after graduation, I went and taught. I was a summer camp counselor in Raleigh, North Carolina, teaching at a camp. And that summer, I taught this little lesson. And some of you have heard it, and you may have taught it yourself. But it's simply to challenge us to do what we should do with this. If you're going to stand, you've got to know this. You can't compromise this. But in order to stand, you need to know it. It needs to be a part of your life. It needs to become a part of your heart. So what I want you to do, everybody, put your hand up like this. And I'm not going. We're not healing anybody here. So, all right. So what I want you to do is just on your fingers, think about this. You're going to have H-E-A-R-T, heart, okay? H-E-A-R-T, heart. And what we're going to do is look at five. You can put your hands down. But keep that in mind to help you remember this. What do we do with God's word? What do we do with his word? First of all, we must hear God's word. Every Sunday that you're here, every time you sit in a class, every time you're here or with other believers in God's word, you are hearing his word taught. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So you must hear God's Word. Now, if that's all you're doing, hearing God's Word, you can can balance it for a while, but anybody can sit in here Sunday after Sunday, and what you hear goes in one ear and out the other. So hearing is not necessarily all that you need to do, but you do need to hear God's Word. Second thing is this, over on the pinky, you need to examine God's Word. It's a passage in Deuteronomy. is instructions for the king. It says, And it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of the law in a book from the one who before the priest, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. So not only can you just hear it, but you need to... Exam, or uh, think on God's word I skipped that one we need to think on God's word I'll go back to the E we need to think delight yourself in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night Psalm. so let's just say we hear it and we think about it so not only are you hearing what I'm saying today it actually stuck in there and you're beginning to process Well, how does this apply to me Okay, going from just hearing it to hearing it and thinking on it I got a much better grasp of the word But it's easy to be lost. I can easily drop it. But then we're going to go to examine, which I just talked about. And that is to read his word for yourself. Not just hear it and hear what you're thinking about, but you need to read it and examine it for yourself. And that only adds another finger here. I have a much better grip and grasp to stand on his word. That it cannot be taken from me. But it's still not as strong as it can be. And then I need to remember god's word psalm 119 says i've hidden your word in my heart that i might not sin against you not only can we hear it think about it and read it that we begin to meditate you know what meditate means the simple imagery is you think as a cow chews the cud that's what they say you take it in and then it comes back up and you chews it some more it goes back down comes back up choose it again Liquefies it till it's absorbed by the body. That's what it means basically to meditate. That you hear this, you think about it, you read it, think about it, just read it again, <laughs> think about it, talk about it, to where it becomes a part of you. So then you got four fingers, much stronger. And then the last one is this, and that is simply to apply it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And with that, there's a much firmer grasp of his word where it cannot be pulled from you for every single one of us the question is what are we doing with this we live in perilous times and we do have a pattern that we need to follow we need to follow the doctrine and we need to follow those who are living that doctrine and that example and we need to be that pattern for others and then we need to stand on this word we have to stand on this. We cannot compromise. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask our musicians to come as we close out our service with a song. I just want to ask you do you feel like that you are rooted in His Word? Is this something that we hear just on Sunday, or is this something that you say? This is how I live my life. I seek his truth. I seek to know what he wants for my life. This is the ground that we all have to stand on in these final days. As a church, this is the foundation. And for you as an individual, I want to challenge you as parents that you know this word. As students, that you would be in this word. And as a congregation, as a church, as church leaders, that this is what we would proclaim faithfully. And for any of you that are here today that you say, this this does not make sense to me. (laughs) I don't know God. Understand this is the source of salvation. To hear the truth that Jesus loves you. That yes, you're a sinner. But Christ died for your sins and mine. He was buried and rose again, conquering sin and death. And we simply trust in what he's done for us. So do you know him? And do you know his word? And are you standing on it, Father? I just thank you that you've given us your word, Lord. That every day we have an opportunity to hear from you. Yes, we can pray, we can talk to you, but God, the fact that you speak to us, and so many times we've neglected it, so many times I've neglected it, and continue to do that. God, help us to have a hunger for your word to know what you have to say, so that when the pressure does come in these perilous times where we would stand and we would not compromise and we would delight in your law and we would stand firm and maybe today you say I want to recommit myself to just to read the word and that's just something you need to do personally say God just help me to be in your word each day just a little bit and apply it to your life So help me be a pattern for others to follow. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Sharon leads us in this closing song. today and uh, just a reminder tonight we will have evening service we won't have anything else going on but our evening service will be right here uh, in the auditorium at six o'clock tonight and again for parents as you go to pick up your children in the sanctuary if you would go through the children's department tonight we would appreciate that hope you all have a great afternoon hope to see you tonight